From the Salvation Army, welcome to the Holiness Podcast with Lieutenant Colonel Vern Jewett. In this monthly Bible study, we'll be exploring God's gift of holiness, which is offered to every Christian. To download this month's study guide, visit us at salvationarmysoundcast.org slash holiness. Well, I say greetings and welcome to you today, again from uh, sunny Florida, and uh, in this amazing time of the uh, COVID pandemic and crisis, uh, pray that all of you are doing fine and uh, and hope that you are staying safe. We need to uh, be sensitive more than ever to each other and to the needs that are around us during these days. But what a privilege it is to study God's Word together. And our topic today is grace, sin, and holiness. Just recently, a couple of months ago, for two weekends in a row, I taught holiness seminars at churches in Florida. As is always the case, there was a great interest shown by the attendees in the subject of sin. Now, I'm sure that's just the subject you were hoping for and wanting to hear about today. But I have found over the years that many Christians don't have a clear understanding of sin, at least in a way that helps them in their living for Christ. They have questions they would love to have answered. So we will begin to tackle the subject of sin in this lesson and finish it up next time as a two-part series. We'll need to have our eyes and hearts wide open to the truth in God's Word. Sin is a huge and pervasive teaching throughout the whole Bible. The question specifically, though, that we will try to answer in these lessons is, what, if any, is the appropriate attention that should be given to sin by Christians seeking to live holy lives, lives led by the Holy Spirit. Let me begin today with a true story from a large youth camp which I attended about 10 years ago. I was serving on a panel of four or five leaders who moderated a 90-minute session each day of open discussion on topics raised by the 400 teenagers and young adults who were attending the camp. As you can imagine, the questions were real and honest, and there was a kind of electricity present, never knowing what topic might come up next. One morning session brought a surprise when three different youth pastors, they were there serving as counselors in the cabins and some teaching classes, stood up at various times and made the same statement. It was obviously coordinated and purposeful on their part. Each one essentially said this, I am not a sinner saved by grace. I am just saved by grace. Then they sat down. Now, I know their intentions were good, pure, and their tactic was thought-provoking for sure. But I was instantly unsettled with the message they were sending to our impressionable young people. I understood that message to be, don't focus on your sin, focus only 
on God's grace in your life. Sounds good, doesn't it? That message certainly aligns with the church's reluctance today to talk about sin. Think about it for a moment. When have you last heard a sermon about the ever-present threat of sin or the devastating impact that sin brings into the lives of Christians? Yet sin is real and is the cause of our separation from God. Further, Sin is not only a part of our story when it comes to being saved, it's also part of our daily reality in living as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible uses many word pictures to describe sin. In our next lesson, we will see how the richness of the Bible's teaching on sin provides Christians with wisdom and guidance to live for Christ every day. But we have a very good starting place today to lay the foundation of our study with this question about sin and grace. As we observed, the heart of the youth leader's dramatic pronouncement is the suggestion that we should focus on grace rather than on sin. However, according to God's word, that simply is not possible. Our primary text will be from Ephesians 2, where Paul makes the statement quoted by the youth leaders. Now, I'm learning about podcasts. I know that people listen to podcasts in different locations and for different reasons. So, if you happen to be taking notes, please write down the following. If you're simply listening, these two truths are basic definitions that are foundational for our study. We need to make an important distinction that will help us understand sin. Truth number one. For a Christian, being saved by grace is a witness to the experience of salvation, meaning that a person's previously broken relationship with God is restored and the guilt of sin is removed. You see, being saved by grace involves a person expressing faith in Jesus Christ and repenting for their sins. For that reason, I have heard the witness all of my life in church from believers saying, I am a sinner saved by grace. Now, truth number two, for a Christian living by grace is a witness to the experience of holiness, meaning that a person is experiencing the Spirit-led life and the power of sin in their life is broken. You see, living by grace involves a person having an open, dynamic relationship with God, the Holy Spirit, who lives in them, and the goal of every believer should be then to live by grace in the power of the Holy Spirit. Newsflash. In both our salvation and our subsequent life as Christians, sin and grace are effectively interwoven and define one another. To talk about saving grace is to talk about forgiveness of sin and being relieved of the guilt of sin. To embrace living grace 
which is the ever-available grace of God, especially through the Holy Spirit in our lives, is to resist and reject sin. This will date me, but it makes me think of the old, old, old popular song, Love and Marriage. I wonder who among our listeners will be the first to tease me about using such an ancient song. Will it be one of the young adults in our church whom I love so much, or one of my own kids? Or maybe it will be one of my senior friends who actually sang the words along with Frank Sinatra. Anyway, I hope we are all seeing the intimate connection between grace and sin. You can't separate them. They go together. Most of the greatest truths about the gospel, salvation, grace, holiness, are all about our relationship with God. Sin can be defined as whatever breaks man's relationship with God and causes separation between God and man. Grace is the act of God which offers restoration of that broken relationship. Salvation is the experience of having that relationship restored and the guilt of sin removed. And holiness is the experience of the indwelling Holy Spirit breaking the power of sin in our lives. If you try to separate grace from sin, you can't do it. They're bound together by definition and by the reality of life. Now, I was raised in the church uh, many decades ago. I admit that I regularly heard sermons with thundering denouncements of sin. As a teenager and young adult, it was my experience that attending church brought a constant awareness of my sin into my life, including hearing my share of sermons about avoiding hell, fire, and damnation. I remember wishing that I would hear the good news part of the gospel and God's love for me at least as much as the bad news of my sinfulness. As is common through church history, if some in the church were falling off the horse on one side in my youthful days by overemphasizing sin, we surely have overcorrected and are falling off the other side today by avoiding talking about sin. Listen to what Reverend Stan Key has to say in a reading from his devotional book, Face to Face. Though many pulpits give lip service to the theology of sin, few emphasize the ugly, messy reality of what a life in sin is truly like. Our cultural commitment to moral relativism, political correctness, and easy beliefs has softened the church's teaching on sin to the point where many in the pew have little awareness of what the Bible says about flawed humanity. End of quote. I agree with Stan's assessment. Furthermore, I believe the youth leader's message in the story I told earlier reflects that reluctance to be open about the integral part sin plays in the story of salvation and the gospel. Sin is not a term well-received in our culture for the reasons Stan mentioned. Many would consider it outdated, if not outright offensive, 
in today's society. Tragically, that discomfort has extended into both the church's proclamation of the gospel, our evangelism, and to its teaching and discipling ministries to Christians. Let me share the thoughts on this subject of one of our prominent journalists, David Brooks. Some of you will probably recognize he's a regular columnist for the New York Times and appears on many network political and news programs. In his book released in 2015, which certainly is not a, a Christian book, but it's a, a wonderful book called The Road to Character, he confronts this societal unwillingness to talk about sin. This is some of what he says. Today, the word sin has lost its power and awesome intensity. It's used most frequently in the context of fattening desserts. Most people in daily conversation don't talk much about individual sin. It's one of those words that have to be reclaimed. Sin is a necessary piece of our mental furniture because it reminds us that life is a moral affair. No matter how hard we strive to replace sin with non-moral words like mistake or error or weakness, the most essential parts of life are matters of moral choice. The youth leaders were essentially quoting the famous passage in Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul says in verse 8 and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Their point was that we are not called sinners in this famous statement by Paul. Rather, we are identified only as being saved by grace through faith. I remember clearly when the youth leaders made these statements. The element of surprise and the fact that there was not a question being asked resulted in no further discussion at the time. As a panel member, I recall briefly expressing concern about neglecting the truth that we are all sinners. But I want to tell you, by that afternoon, I had reflected on that message from the youth leaders, and I was convinced that the implications of what our young people had seen and heard in that session were dangerous to their spiritual health. My years of pastoral experience had taught me that to emphasize only the grace of God to the exclusion of salvation from sin would leave our young ill-equipped for life, for real life. Let's look more closely at the passage surrounding the verse quoted by the youth leaders. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. They're verses many of us have memorized. We just... Uh, quoted them, but again, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now the wonder of God's grace is amazing. Their desire to emphasize it was correct. It is God who has acted first out of his love for us. The truth that we have done nothing to earn salvation, nor can we do anything to earn salvation, is incredibly important. 
No one knew that from experience better than the Apostle Paul. In his earlier life before his conversion, he had been a strict law-abiding Pharisee who counted on his works to satisfy God. He had even become the most ardent persecutor of Christians, seeing some put to death before his saving encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road. His words, but it is by grace you have been saved, came from his heart and his own story. One of the most important aspects of Bible study is to always be aware of the context of a particular verse or passage. As I was reviewing the immediate context of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, I made an interesting discovery. Paul's consuming awareness of being saved by grace was accompanied by a consuming awareness that he was a sinner. Well, of course, that would be of interest to us. Don't you agree? Given the youth leader's urging to not talk about sin, only about grace. Back in verses 1 and 2, before he says, it is by grace you are saved, he says to the Ephesian Christians, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. Then, after verse 8 and 9, he explicitly instructed them to remember that they were sinners. He tells them to remember in verses 11 and 12, listen to verse 12, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Wow! Before telling them that they were saved by grace, and then after telling them, he instructs them to remember that they previously were separated from Christ, without hope and without God. Friends, it is an abuse of the context and the full teaching of this scripture passage to suggest that Paul did not want us to remember that we were sinners. The opposite is true. I believe those youth leaders made a terrible mistake by wanting to draw attention away from sin and only to grace. You can't have one without the other. You can't understand one without the other. I believe it is more than okay to affirm on the basis of Ephesians 2 that we are sinners saved by grace. Amen. Now, my purpose in this lesson is simply to make clear that a consciousness of sin is not only necessary to spiritual health, it is the gateway to living holy lives. Satan is thrilled when we are hesitant for any cultural or other reason to avoid talking about sin. Then we will soon avoid thinking about sin. An unknown author has said, Remembering structures our minds to live for God. It frames our identity and sets us on course for life in Christ. We need to remember sin. For part of sin's delusion is that it keeps us unaware of sin. At this point, I would like to stop and crystallize the key truth of this lesson. Here it is. The key truth. 
To be holy means to live by God's grace and to resist sin. And here is how that truth can potentially revolutionize our daily living. To do those two things, live by God's grace and resist sin, is essentially one act, one choice. It is a single decision which we make over and over again in the daily various circumstances of life so that it becomes a habit and a way of living. It is conscious. It is continual. And it allows the power of the Holy Spirit who is guiding and directing our every step to conform our lives to the pattern of Jesus our Lord. This truth may remind you of Galatians 2.20 where Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It is a simple, powerful truth and the secret to being a faithful disciple. In a recent podcast, we studied Romans 12:2. This verse lays out both the positive and negative aspects of our key truth statement. First, we are instructed to not be conformed to this world. That is the admonition against sin. Rather, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That is yielding our will to the Holy Spirit who lives in us, thereby living in God's grace. This two-pronged definition of holy living is found throughout the entire Bible. It's like two sides of the same coin. We find it there the first time sin is mentioned in the Bible. In Genesis 4-7 is the tragic story of Cain and Abel. God tells Cain, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. It is there throughout the Old Testament for the people of Israel who are told by God through Moses and the Ten Commandments to serve only Him and to not disobey His laws. This theme also resonates through the Old Testament prophets. Like Isaiah in Isaiah 1, 18 and 19, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, if you are willing and obedient. It's there throughout the New Testament for Christians. We've already mentioned several uh, Pauline references. But in James 4-7, the brother of the Lord states in his typically simple, practical way, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There's no doubt that James has sin on his mind as he continues in verse 8, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. To be holy is to resist sin and live in God's grace. Okay, let's stop here and take uh, a time out. I want to elaborate a little bit on sin before we look at one final passage in Ephesians that illustrates our lesson. 
First, we have seen that sin is not only part of our story of salvation, it's part of our daily conscious living as followers of Jesus. That is why the absence of sin in the working vocabulary of the church comes at a great cost to the gospel and to the kingdom of God. At the beginning of today's lesson, I mentioned that there is always a great interest in sin when I teach seminars on holiness. Now, I really don't know if it's because their own pastors and churches don't teach about sin or preach about sin. I do know that many Christians attending show evidence of a pervasive and troubling confusion about sin, about its presence, its temptation, and its reality in their lives. This is what I've observed for many years as I've studied God's Word with believers all over the country and around the world. There is a fatalistic attitude among many Christians who have accepted that sin is inevitable in our lives. This fatalism has produced a mixture of confusion about holy living, which has led to a repression of God's call to holy living, and even a distrust of holy living. The New Testament does not teach us anywhere that sin is inevitable in our lives or that Christians must sin. Rather, it teaches us clearly that God does not want us to sin. He does not expect us to sin. He encourages us to live spirit-led lives where he helps us not to sin. He instructs us to confess and receive forgiveness if we do sin. And he assures us of the advocacy of Jesus for us before him if we do sin. The one thing that is never said in the New Testament is that Christians must sin. We have dealt with this in previous lessons, and undoubtedly it will come up again in the future. It is usually the elephant in the room, so we must address it directly since our topic is grace, sin, and holiness. Some Christians come to the conclusion that sin is inevitable because they find themselves sinning in spite of their best efforts. Sadly, others have fallen prey to those teachers in the church who openly claim that Christians will inevitably sin, even with the Holy Spirit filling their lives. How often I have sensed and often heard the cry of confused believers who say, if I must sin, then why should I try? Why should I go through the agony and constant failure of resisting sin unsuccessfully? To all of them, we proclaim the promise of God that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in our weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. We proclaim the Hebrews writer telling us in 12, 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, 
perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Friends, we can live holy lives. Do not let Satan convince you that the promises of God are not true, that you cannot love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength as he commands, that you cannot be conformed to the likeness of his Son, as Romans 8.29 claims, that you cannot have the mind of Christ, which Paul asserts in 1 Corinthians 2.16, that he cannot present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, Colossians 1.22. Do not let Satan tell you that you cannot be transformed by the renewing of your mind, able to test and discern what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, Romans 12, 2. Do not let Satan tell you that Peter's promise in 1 Peter 1, 15 is not true when he says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Friends, here's another key principle of Bible study. When God gives a command to us, there is a promise implicit within the command because he does not tell us to do or be what he will not empower us to do or be. By his grace, we can live holy lives. It is that living grace of God that is always available to us as we resist sin. Do you remember the definitions we began our lesson today, the ones I asked you to write down or pay attention to? They related to our topic of grace, sin, and holiness. I want to review them and have a reprise of those teachings which began our lesson. First, being saved by grace means that a person's relationship to God is restored and the guilt of sin is removed. We learned in previous lessons that this takes place apart from us in the heart of God. We are no longer separated from him, but are restored in a living relationship with him as his child. Secondly, living by grace means that a person experiences the spirit-led life and that the power of sin is broken in their life. Of course, this happens within us. It is a witness to holiness and like salvation, it is a new way of living that transcends every part of one's life. This teaching is found throughout the entire New Testament. After the church is born in Acts, Christians who know of saving grace and whose sins have been forgiven are challenged over and over again to yield to God the Holy Spirit in their lives and to experience the breaking of the power of sin. Dear friends, living grace brings sanctifying power. It is life in the presence and power of God the Holy Spirit, and it brings a consuming awareness of our standing in Christ. Now, let's reflect back on the key truth of the lesson one more time. To be holy is to resist sin and live in God's grace. Now, this is not meant to be the definition of holiness. There are dozens of good definitions based on the scriptures that help us see the profound depth of what holy living means for a Christian. 
Rather, this is a key truth about holiness and the focus of today's lesson. Christians who are seeking to live a holy life are constantly making choices in the context of this tension, wanting to resist sin and seeking to live in God's grace. We've already learned and seen in Scripture that sin and grace define each other. They're like two wings of the same airplane, remember? You can't have one without the other. I think a simple illustration may help us here. It helped me. A young boy was sitting on the fence in his backyard looking at his neighbor's apple tree. His mom came out of the house and said, Johnny, are you trying to steal one of Mr. Smith's apples? He quickly replied, No, ma'am. I'm trying not to. There it is. That tension results in a single act that in Johnny's case meant resisting the temptation to take what was not his and at the same time respecting his neighbor, Mr. Smith, by honoring his property. A little further in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he gives several clear examples of our lesson. In our daily living, we are always making the choice to sin or to live in grace. Listen to Paul's teaching in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. There's the tension. There's the choice. Now come the examples of choices that Paul uh, gives us that we make every day. Verse 25, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. This is about lying and truth-telling, a timely subject for us. A person lies to himself and soon can no longer distinguish the truth from falsehood. Verse 28, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. You see, sin feeds on itself and builds on itself, and something must fill the vacuum when it is resisted. And it needs to be God's living grace. I think in each of these situations, we can imagine the boy sitting on the fence, eyeing his neighbor's apple tree, trying to do what's right while trying not to sin. Verse 29, this is all about putting on your new self and putting off the old self. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. This is really about malicious talk, probably gossip. The word for unwholesome literally means that which is rotten. Some sins need to be aggressively resisted thereby developing the habit of restraint, thereby growing in grace. Paul is laying out the choices we all make 
every day to sin or to live by grace. Perhaps you remember that at the beginning I posed the question, what, if any, is the appropriate attention that should be given to sin by Christians seeking to live holy lives, lives led by the Holy Spirit? Okay, here's the answer. Christians should fill their conscious lives every day with large doses of God's grace, salvation, sin, and the leading of the Holy Spirit, and they come as a package. We must never underestimate the threat of sin and its desire to destroy our trust in God. Remember that sin is what separates us from God. So many Christians live as though they can say a prayer and then go on about their day without paying any more attention to God, convinced that they are protected. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is not a part-time job. It's a full-time vocation. Surely we can see that one of the keys in choosing to live by grace is that it's not accidental, it's intentional. Now, I've had allergies all of my life. A few times I think you've heard me fighting allergies as I've recorded these podcasts. I remember as a boy taking what was advertised as a time-release capsule to protect me from those irritants that would make my nose and eyes run and cause me to sneeze. Supposedly, the 12-hour capsule had hundreds of small beads which would explode at different intervals throughout the day. I didn't have to worry once I'd taken a pill in the morning. I was protected all day long. Remember that sin is what separates us from God. Can anybody listening relate to that? Is this lesson a wake-up call for me, for you, for many of us? Becoming mature in Christ just doesn't just happen. Learning to choose every day, all day, to resist sin and live by grace is not accidental. Satan wants to divert my attention, but God the Holy Spirit wants to guide my every step and give me an appetite for holy living. That's God's plan for my life. What do you crave most in your life? We have the choice to begin each day with the same experience the writer of Psalm 42 had when he wrote, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. To resist sin must be intentional. To choose living by grace must be intentional. Of all the holiness texts and teachings in Scripture that I've encountered over the years, there's not one that has spoken more profoundly to my heart than this study on sin. To see sin, grace, and holiness so deeply connected with my everyday living choices has been startling. Isn't it great how God gives us new insights and opens new doors of obedience for us to walk through over and over again? One of the hallmark issues of the age and culture in which we live is the matter of identity. Who am I at the core, really? Is my true identity found in 
my race, gender, country, tribe, job, political persuasion? What really matters most to me and makes me who I really am? Here is the Christian's answer. In this age of identity issues, by deep conviction I rejoice in the fact that at the core of my being, physical, spiritual, emotional, and psychological, I am a sinner saved by God's grace. And I am in an open, living relationship with God the Holy Spirit who lives in me. That is who I am. I've learned a great deal through this lesson. That my call to holiness means that I must consciously choose to resist sin and live by God's grace and the power of the Spirit. Here's a summary of our lesson from the pen of Reverend Stan Key, who we met earlier. It takes courage to see the truth about ourselves, but only as we know our sin can we know His holiness. Only as we realize our inner bankruptcy can we experience His fullness. Only as we acknowledge our weakness can we discover His power. And only as we confess the depth of our sin can we realize the height of His grace. Amen. It's time for a closing PSA. Not a public service announcement, a podcast service announcement. In our next lesson, we will immerse ourselves in the many pictures of sin found in God's Word. After all, that is our source of strength and insight as the Holy Spirit interprets it for us. When it comes to sin and its power, we can claim and experience the truth of Psalm 119.11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We will discover that every truth and picture about sin in the Bible can help us in our living for Christ. Each teaches us about the human condition. Each gives us more spiritual depth and power because they ultimately point us to God's capabilities, God's assurances, and God's invitation to us to prevail in His strength. Hallelujah. We hope you'll join us again. May His grace fill your life today and every day. Thanks so much for listening, and we'd love to hear from you. Share your thoughts, questions, or prayer requests. Visit us at SalvationArmySoundcast.org slash holiness. And if you're enjoying this Bible study, share it with a friend. They can subscribe wherever they get their podcasts. Thank you.